It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions. After the podcast, check out everything ChristianQuestions.com has to offer. Also see our weekly video series releases at ChristianQuestions.com slash YouTube. Now, here's your hosts, Rick and Jonathan. Ralph Martson once said, Make it a habit to tell people thank you, to express your appreciation sincerely and without the expectation of anything in return. Truly appreciate those around you, and you'll soon find many others around you. Truly appreciate life, and you'll find that you have more of it. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. I'm Jonathan. This podcast centers on godly principles, family values, and honest dialogue in a politically free zone. Folks, talk to us. Give us your feedback or questions at ChristianQuestions.com and all our social media channels. Dig deeper after this episode by downloading our comprehensive Seeker Rewind show notes. It's a visual and contextual map for everything we cover. Look for the Seeker Rewind button on our episode pages. Another great companion is our all-new Study Questions tool, an easy-to-follow single page of questions tied to scriptures for a great personal study for your Bible study group or yourself. Check them out by clicking on the Bible study tab on our homepage. And we also do video. Look for new videos for all ages every week at christianquestions.com slash YouTube. So Jonathan, what is the subject for today? Well, Rick, our question is, how can we be thankful when life is so hard? Our theme text is found in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So again, the question, how can we be thankful when life is so hard? When you think of the most basic manners we teach our kids, we generally start by instructing them how to appropriately make a request for something and how to graciously receive it. Like this. How do you ask? Please. (laughs) What do you say? Thank you. Oh, you're so good. These two simple communication tools, which incidentally seem to have been misplaced in our social media world, are not merely expressions of good manners. There are declarations of good character. As we approach the American holiday of Thanksgiving, we want to focus on being thankful in a way that goes beyond typical platitudes. So coming up in today's podcast, let's face it, most of the time we give lip service to true gratitude. We present ourselves as thankful when we are often still feeling restless and unfulfilled. In segments one and two, we lay out what real gratitude looks like and also listen in on a true story of a Christian woman who lives with debilitating pain. Mixing an attitude of thanksgiving in when we're suffering can actually seem impossible. Segments three and four show us not only how to do it, they show us why. And we all need this roadmap. And finally, how can one person's attitude of gratitude actually lift others, even if they're non-believers? Our last segment shows us a dramatic example of how this works. Rick, how can we be truly and deeply thankful even when our life experiences are difficult and harsh? How can we make true thankfulness a way of life and not just words of praise? 
So, Jonathan, this week, this Thursday, it's going to be Thanksgiving in, in, in the uh, North American or United States, and that is a special time. And unfortunately, that time has lost a lot of its power because it's overshadowed by the candy and dress-up of Halloween and the glitz and, gl- and glimmer of Christmas. So Thanksgiving is that holiday that gets lost. And we always want to pause and say, let's think about, let's talk about what true gratitude is, especially as Christians. And so this, this week we wanted to focus on having gratitude, even when life is really difficult. And I had a great response from uh, one of my clients uh, today. He goes, this is my favorite time of the year. My family is coming home. And he is just in great expectation of, of really appreciating this time. I love that. And that's really the way we all should be. So, folks, that's our objective here. So let's gain a biblical perspective on the whole idea of Thanksgiving. What we're going to find is that Thanksgiving is a multifaceted, multifaceted thing and can be expressed for many, many reasons. So we've got several potential reasons for Thanksgiving we're going to introduce throughout the podcast. Jonathan, what's our first one? Thanksgiving can be expressed out of a lifelong loyalty. Okay. Now, one of the primary words for Thanksgiving in the Old Testament has kind of an interesting definition. What is it? It is interesting. An extension of the hand that is, by implication, uh, a vowel, or usually adoration, specifically a choir of worshipers. I like that one. Okay. So adoration, a choir of worshipers, or a vowel, A-V-O-A-L, not a vowel or a noun or an adjective, but a vowel to avow something, to, to hold on to something. So the following scriptures show true loyalty toward God, provoking this kind of thanksgiving, this adoration and the example was a choir of worshipers in our lives. First, in, this, in these verses, in Psalms 26, verses 1 through 7, there's the test. And in the first five verses, we're going to see what the test is. Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity, and I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Examine me, O Lord, and try me. Test my mind and my heart, for your loving kindness is before my eyes. I have walked in your truth. I do not sit with deceitful men, nor will I go up with pretenders. I hate the assembly of evildoers, and I will not sit with the wicked. So there's a test. Vindicate me. Examine me. Test my mind and my heart. The psalmist presents himself for for judgment, examination, and intellectual and heart testing. He's presenting himself, saying, Lord, look at me. And now here is where the results come in, in verses 6 and 7 in Psalm 26. I shall wash my hands in innocence. And I will go about your altar, O Lord, that I may proclaim with the voice of thanksgiving and declare all your wonders. With the voice of adoration, as though you have this choir within you singing, that's the kind of thanksgiving he's talking about here. It really is a very high level of adoration. Another scripture along these lines, Psalm chapter 50, verse 14, uses the same word for thanksgiving. Offer unto God thanksgiving, and pay thy vows unto the Most High. And Rick, this is living thanksgiving. It's not just words here. And that's exactly what we want to focus on again and again and again in all kinds of different ways as we go through thanksgiving. As a matter of fact, Jonathan, each time we 
express another way Thanksgiving can be part of our lives. This one is expressed out of lifelong loyalty. We want to talk about the mechanics of thankfulness. And with each of these mechanics, there's a, a question at the end of the mechanics because we got to be asking ourselves, how am I doing with this? So the first mechanics of Thanksgiving point, Jonathan, is what? Is my own thankfulness towards God built on a base of integrity or is it expressed on a basis of emotion? And Rick, shouldn't our goal have both of these in them? It should, and we're actually going to develop that very, very soon in the beginning of the next segment where emotion actually should fit into Thanksgiving. So yes, it should have both. It really absolutely should. Okay, so first, Thanksgiving can be expressed out of a lifelong loyalty. What's the second way Thanksgiving can be a part of our lives? Thanksgiving can be a result of a deep trust proven to be well-placed. A deep trust proven to be well-placed. The scripture we're going to be looking at in Psalm 28 uses a different word for Thanksgiving or thanks. And Jonathan, what does this word mean? It means especially to revere or worship. So when you revere something, you look at it with great uh, solemnity and reverence, and you have this sense of honor and respect. Let's keep that in mind as you read Psalm 28, verses 6 and 7. Blessed be the Lord, because he has heard the voice of my supplication. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him, and I am helped. Therefore, my heart exalts. And with my song, I shall thank him. Rick, this scripture, I, after reading it, it's like, so how much do I trust God? <laughs> because this is saying you, you need to esteem him to the highest point. And how many times throughout my day do I thank God? Hmm. And somebody put a, an idea in my head this week. They said, we should memorize hymns. We should have them memorized so that we can sing them just just sing them. And I'm saying, okay, that's a great idea. So one of my new goals is to memorize uh, the words of a hymn, I'll pick one hymn every week. And while I'm working, because no one's around most times, I'm going to be singing it and trying to memorize those so I can show my thankfulness to my Heavenly Father for all that he's done for me. So, you know, in a way, you are literally trying to fulfill the definition of that with the choir thing. <laughs> I am. I am trying to. <laughs> well, anyway, and that's good. That's important because it's got to come from within our hearts. So, so the first two ways Thanksgiving can be a part of our lives. It can be expressed out of lifelong loyalty. It can be expressed as a result of deep trust proven to be well-placed. And in that last scripture, it says, my heart trusts in him. You don't get stronger than saying, being able to say, not only do I have that intellectual understanding, but my heart trusts in him. What's the mechanics of thankfulness here as we begin to wrap up this segment? Our deepest gratitude will always go towards those whom we trust the most. And so here's the question. If you don't show gratitude, then what does that say about your trust? Ooh. See, because our trust can be founded in, yeah, you did me a favor, but is it founded in, I am grateful for what you did for me? See, trust can be humble and therefore gracious, or trust can be sort of egotistical and therefore flimsy. And we got right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we got to be really, really careful about these things as we look at the basis, the foundation of what real, true thanksgiving and thankfulness really looks like. So, please and thank you really are a basis for gratitude. They display humility and an ability to be truly receptive. 
It's one thing to be thankful when things work out. How can we be just as thankful when they don't? We're excited to be hearing from our growing listening audience at ChristianQuestions.com through Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can also chat with us now during the live broadcast. You know what would be really awesome? If you can leave us a review when you subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Podbean, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and others. It helps us reach even more people. Thank you for subscribing and reviewing. Now, let's take the next steps in our comprehensive conversation. You know, gratitude in the face of hardship is an area where thankfulness does not naturally occur. It's easy to be thankful when we're given an outward blessing, for the blessing itself lifts our emotions. When we're suffering, our emotions are low, and that usually keeps gratitude off of our agenda. So we got to ask ourselves, should our gratitude be emotionally driven? And folks, most of us fall into this. Should our gratitude be emotionally driven? No. It needs to be a choice that is backed up by emotion. So we don't want to take the emotion out, but we need to make sure that the emotion plays a role and is not the mainstay of our thanksgiving. Great quote, Jonathan, from Melody Beattie on being grateful. Gratitude unlocks the fullness of life. It turns what we have into enough and more. It turns denial into acceptance, chaos to order, confusion to clarity. It can turn a meal into a feast, a house into a home, a stranger into a friend. And when you think about all of the things that gratitude can do, you've got to take a look at this and say, wait, that means that the mere act of true gratitude can actually change my life. And it's a really amazing thing because that's true. And that's why Thanksgiving is so uh, so much weaved in and out of so many scriptures. It's everywhere because it's a life-changing decision, okay? Speaking of life-changing decision, we're going to be telling a story, or actually listening to a story, by a Christian woman. Her name is Lori. Uh, Lori F. Uh, now, this is not the Lori that we normally know that, that does a lot of our, 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 our voiceovers, and she's been uh, on some of our podcasts with us in the past. This is a different Lori. And this particular Christian sister lives with constant pain. So let's hear the beginning of her story. Well, I've suffered from arthritis and nerve damage in my back for many years, and I also have restless leg syndrome, and one can trigger the other, causing not only pain, but, well, let me put it this way. I now know what the expression driven to distraction means. For several years before I found the right medication, every night I would be in agonizing pain for about four to six hours until I would finally fall asleep. There was no position I could get into that would bring any relief. I couldn't sit, stand, lie down, or walk for very long, so the hours were spent just moving around. This still happens once in a while. Can you imagine every night when you go to go to sleep having a battle for four or five or six hours? Oh, that's so overwhelming. Hard to wrap my head around. Every day, every day, oh. every day. Wow. So that's the basis of her story. And obviously, it is a life-changing experience. So folks, you want to stay with us to see she found a way. 
And what she found is really, really magnificent. And we want you to be a part of that as we get to it in a few segments. So stay with us and, on that. And Rick, we want to reference episode 924. And the title is, How Do You Stand When Life Gets Too Heavy? Yeah. And that's such an important question to ask. And we're talking about gratefulness and, and, and thankfulness now. That episode really gets into the mechanics of, of just finding that, that self-discipline that helps you to overcome and finding that, that faith and that trust that you need. What's our third point of how Thanksgiving can be a part of our lives? Thanksgiving can be a result of comprehending the necessity for hardship and pain comprehending the necessity for hardship and pain. Scriptures tell us, hey, don't be surprised, it's coming. First Peter chapter 4, verses 12 to 16. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. So I love that because it's almost matter of fact. Peter's saying, you're having really severe trials and you're surprised? You think it's strange? Really? No, no, no. I, I love the first word, beloved. Yeah. <laughs> you know, let's put it in the context. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Children of God, you're beloved. Guess what? <laughs> yeah. Here's what's coming. Okay, verse, thir- what's coming. verse yep. 13. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exaltation. So here's one of the key factors. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ... What does that mean? We're going to begin to define that as we go through these uh, these next few minutes. So stay with us for that. This is important. So keep on rejoicing. You've been rejoicing. Keep on rejoicing. 14 and 15. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Make sure that none of your sufferings as a are as a murderer or a thief or evildoer or troublesome meddler. Okay, so again, it's talking about suffering for Christ, suffering for Christ. Make sure that's why you're suffering, not because you're doing things that are unchristlike, but things that are Christ-like instead. And then verse 16 really pulls it together. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. And of course, this name is the name of Jesus. But here's the thing, Jonathan. He's talking about suffering, and in this particular context, there's a lot about public suffering you know why are you suffering and and so he's saying that if you are suffering as a christian if you are being publicly humiliated or publicly persecuted he's saying don't be ashamed that is not reason to be ashamed those people want you to be ashamed but you are glorifying god make sure you see the why not the what why is this happening happening because i'm standing for christ what's happening they're making fun of me. Okay. The, so Peter is telling us, rise above that. And looking at our pattern, Jesus. Yeah. I mean, the scribes and Pharisees tried to make him look bad every time they could get a chance. Yeah. And he rose above it and taught lessons, hoping that they would get it. And we, we need to follow that pattern. Absolutely. Very, very much so. Okay. So the mechanics of thanks, of thankfulness about this necessity for hardship and pain. Where are my head and my heart? Can my suffering be considered as suffering for Christ? Now, a lot of times, you know, we're not in the middle of the public square being physically humiliated, right, Jonathan? That's right. That's right. That's a rarity, Rick. So next question. What's the next question? This is important. 
Does suffering for Christ have to be a result of persecution? What about illnesses, accidents, and experiences that do not seem related? So, Jonathan, a lot of us are not, like we said, not in the middle of public, uh, the public eye, so to speak. So, like, like Lori, in her experience, she's got this private pain. Is that suffering for Christ? Because it sure doesn't sound like it fits into what, what Peter was saying about being reviled and persecuted and you know people coming after you. So let's take a look at that, because those things are sufferings for Christ. How do we know? We need to go to some other scriptures. Let's start with Hebrews chapter 12, verses 7 through 11. It's going to take us a little bit to get through these. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. So now this is talking about discipline of a father to a child. You know, it's the, the, the word for discipline here is a really interesting word, Jonathan. Let's first start with the concordance and then with the lexicon sort of develops the definition. What does it mean? Tutorage, that is education or training by implication disciplinarian correction. Okay, so disciplinary correction. Tutorage, teaching how. That's what discipline is. The lexicon develops this even further. There's just We're not going to read all of the pieces, but just a few of them. Go ahead. The whole training and education of children. Whatever in adults also cultivates the soul, especially by correcting mistakes and curbing passions. And also in instruction which aims at increasing virtue. So there's a lot to this idea of discipline. Discipline isn't just, no, don't touch the stove. Discipline is a life lesson to grow up as a mature adult in Christ. And in Hebrews, what the apostle is saying is, if you are not being disciplined by God, then you're not his child. So if you are not being shown how to grow up into a mature Christian, then you're, you're, you're not a Christian because you're not being shown. So you've got to really understand that sometimes these personal things, like that personal pain we were just talking about, that's a discipline. How do I grow through that? The Father gives the experience to that person so they can learn that lesson and teach others. And Christ learned obedience through the things which he suffered. Exactly. Why shouldn't we learn obedience through all kinds of experiences to prove our loyalty to our Heavenly Father? So whether our experiences are private or they're public is of no consequence. If we're suffering as Christians, that's the consequence. That's the discipline. Let's get back to Hebrews chapter 12. Let's read verses 9 through 11. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more rather subject be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, so that we may share his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it afterwards, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. And here is one of the keys, verse 11. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Now, discipline doesn't necessarily mean you've done something wrong. 
You know, when an athlete is going through the discipline of training, they haven't done anything wrong. As a matter of fact, they've been doing everything right. <laughs> That's right. But not enough of it. <laughs> okay. And they have to do it more and more and more and more and push harder and harder and harder and, and get stronger and faster and stronger and faster and, and keep, keep the focus. So discipline is not just saying, Oh, shame on you. That's just a, actually a small part. The discipline being spoken of here is the life development. So let me just drop that in in verse 11. All life development for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful, yet those who have been trained by it afterwards, it yields the peaceable fruits of righteousness. So again, whether it's public or private, when life is hard, we do have cause for thankfulness. See, now we can see gratitude. Sometimes it takes us the after looking back upon it and saying, I see it now. Whenever it comes, it comes. That's what we want. We want to get to the gratitude part. So fatherly discipline includes all life teachings put in place for the purpose of rounding out the character of the child so they become a responsible adult. And even better with our Heavenly Father. And, and Jonathan, so when he disciplines you, it's not necessarily because you did bad, but it's because he loves you so much. He wants you to be better, stronger, faster, more capable, uh, more able to bear burdens of others. Because here's the other thing. Sometimes when we're going through this hard burden bearing in our own private experiences, it gives us the strength to help others later on bear their burdens. And it may be preparing us for a much more difficult experience down the road. So we'll be trained and ready right. to be ha able to handle that. So discipline is good. It's not correction necessarily, but it is life development as a Christian. Well, well it could be correction if we're suffering as a murderer, thief, evildoer, right. troublesome meddler. Yes. <laughs> we will be corrected. Right. But the, <laughs> the point is we want it to be focused on our spiritual growth. Romans Amen. 8, 28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And that's a verse that we continually read. God causes everything to work together for good in our life development process. I'm obviously doing a lot of paraphrasing here. And Rick, some of our hardest experiences can be our best growth experiences in Christ. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's usually the case. Go ahead. And... Um, we're, we had a, a wonderful Thanksgiving program on Sunday, and there were several keys um, for living a life uh, of gratefulness. And one of, I just want to share the first one now. Be in the moment. Hmm. So That way you can see the thankfulness and gratitude in your life. If we are looking, always looking behind us or always looking ahead, we miss the lesson. Absolutely. In the, in the precious presence. So it's such a powerful thing. It's about developing gratitude. So our mechanics of thankfulness, Jonathan, as we wrap up this segment. The experiences, discipline, and traumas of our lives are ordered to develop us into strong and experienced followers of Jesus. So the question we have to ask based on that is, do we thankfully observe those things this way? Are we thankfully observing, like you said, in the moment observing those experiences with a thank you because it's helping us to grow. This conversation of gratitude framed by the discipline necessary for spiritual growth is actually encouraging. How do we approach our experiences when we see them as hampering our Christian abilities? It's another Did You Know moment for your Christian Questions host. 
Let's learn something about Rick. He rarely drinks any beverages. This voiceover guy witnessed it in person during a recent visit to Christian Questions HQ in Connecticut. He doesn't do caffeinated coffee. He drinks maybe one glass of water during the day and one diet soda per week. Does he have camel DNA? We may never know. Or it may be because he's putting in so many Christian Questions volunteer hours and additional ministries volunteer time. And now we return to our regularly scheduled programming. Okay, I'm thankful for that, I guess. <laughs> you know, our own human perception for our experiences can be a massive detour away from living thankfully. It's natural to observe those things which slow us down as obstacles. On the flip side, those perceived obstacles may in fact be advantages. Why? We may not be clearly seeing our objective, so we see something as being in the way that's actually saying, go through this and see how strong you become. So, Jonathan, human perception messes up gratitude. Good point, Rick. <laughs> so we need to work on that. We really do. Great quote from Harvey McKay. Talent is God-given. Be humble. Fame is man-given. Be thankful. Conceit is self-given. Be careful. <laughs> you know, and, and it's so important to always, always, always keep things in perspective. Let's get back to Lori's story. She had talked about this daily struggle with pain and the nightly battle, four to six hours of, of pain that kept her from sleeping, trying to adjust and, and change and just not being able to get through it. So let's see what happens next. I have a bulletin board with scriptures, positive sayings, notes from friends, things like that, that I look at often each day to keep me from getting discouraged. One particularly bad night, I was trying to pray, but as usually happens when I'm flooded with pain, I couldn't keep my mind focused. My thoughts were flitting around and all I could say through tears was, please help me, Heavenly Father. I didn't mean, please take the pain away, but the Lord knew I was asking for help to endure. You know, Jonathan, that's a bold prayer. Oh, that is. Because, you know, a lot of times we would look at that and say, boldly ask God to remove that pain from you. But she boldly asked God for endurance. And I ask you, which is the bolder prayer? Wow, it endurance. Is, it is the striving to rise above that which has been given. Wow. And that, my friends, is where you can find the seeds of true gratitude. I am telling you, there's power in this story. What's our fourth thankfulness point? Thankfulness may be a result of realizing the profound spiritual value of our hardships and pain. Realize the profound spiritual value not physical value, but spiritual value of our hardships and pain. The next step is to be able to embrace such gratitude in the midst of our issues. The Apostle Paul had to learn this very lesson. Now, Paul is reporting his experience in 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10, with the insight of hindsight, which means he's looking back on his experience and he's saying, I get it now, and I can show you the whole lesson because I've been able to go through the whole experience. The value, the, the insight of hindsight, Jonathan, is a powerful, powerful tool. So 2 Corinthians 7, uh, I'm sorry, 12, uh, let's start with verses uh, 7 and 8. 
Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. Okay, there's two really important points. He said, first of all, well, three. First, he's given these incredible revelations, and they are really, really amazing. And he said to, in, his, in, the, in the insight of hindsight, he's saying, to keep me from exalting myself. What does that word exalting mean? To raise oneself over, uh, become haughty. Okay, so to, to keep me from being totally egotistical. This is what he's saying. That's the, the insight of hindsight. He said, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, Satan, and this was given to torment me. What does that word torment mean? To rap with the fist. So in other words, something to beat me up. I mean, something to pound me. So he's being very colorful in how he describes himself and the propensity toward potential ego. And then this messenger of Satan, whatever, we've always talked about it as, as, as his blindness, you know, beating him down. So in Paul's hindsight, he's saying, I know I was in danger of self-exaltation, and therefore the hardship that Satan sent to beat me down was in fact able to be a tool of growth in the hand of God through Christ. So he's saying that what Satan sent to try to destroy me God just happened to be able to use to help me grow. Wow, what a perspective. <laughs> well, insight of hindsight, that's what he's showing us. Verses 9 and 10 of 2 Corinthians 12. And he had said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So the interesting thing here is he put this before the Lord three times, and the answer from Jesus is, my grace is sufficient for you, my power, for power is perfected in weakness. And so the apostle has the aha moment that says, okay, I get it. Now, your strength has room when I'm weak. Great. Bring it on. <laughs> it's, just, it's amazing <laughs> about face. The mechanics of thankfulness for this, this section here. Paul needed to grow into this lesson of gratitude and praise, and it took three rounds of prayer to do that. Until he was ready, he could not see the value in the roadblock. See, the roadblock was there, and he saw it, and he said, if it can just be removed, I can serve with more, more, more vim, more vitality, more enthusiasm, more strength, more consistency. And, and look, if anybody, Jonathan, if anybody had a right to pray for something to be removed so they could work even harder, it would have been the Apostle Paul. Amen. Because he was, a, he was the, the embodiment of zeal all the time. He never stopped, no matter what was before him. So by his praying to have this removed, he's saying, Lord, if I didn't have this, I could do even, I could just do better. So it, it wasn't praying because, Lord, you know, it's really uncomfortable. He was praying because I want to do better. I want to do more. And so his answer was, no, you're actually doing just fine. And, and his response is, I'll glory in my infirmities then. 
Because if that's the answer, I love that answer. I love that answer. So the question is, with that, with that, uh, you, you said until he was ready, he could not see the value of the roadblock. How about us, folks? Are we able to step outside of our own sight line and into God's sight line with our trials? Whose eyes are we looking at our trials with? Our own or our Heavenly Father's? Big difference between the two. Big difference between the two. And Rick, that makes me think of uh, our personal experience that Jewel and I are going through. And it's a perception of obstacles, you know, that's brought out on on this uh, lesson. You know, our life um, truly changed when we took my parents in and gave them a safe and healthy environment. You know, with this experience, uh, having caregivers in our house 15 hours each day, uh, life has completely changed. You know, we're not free to do what we used to do. And you know, we have to have mom's best interest in mind. It's hard to get personal time, and it's even hard to find time to be with my wife uh, with so much responsibility. I truly believe the Lord's will was to step up and care for them. Keeping thankfulness in mind, the lesson from our experience will help us to sympathize with other families doing the same thing. Also, it takes self-interest away. And you know what? That may not be a bad thing. (laughs) Now, I think about Jesus and all the people crowding him and demanding his attention, time. You know, if it in a small way we can feel what he felt, and I can, it, it can help us grow closer to God and rely more on God through this experience. I am grateful for this lesson, and we're gonna keep plowing through. Um, and and honor our mother and father, as we were told in the Bible, and bring praise to the Lord. So the the idea, and you said it, is to be able to say thank you. Thank you for the hardship, because that is the tool through which I can grow. Now, Satan can try to use that hardship as a tool to drag us down. Folks, it becomes a choice. Do we want this to be a, a tool of destruction or a tool of construction? The construction of the new, new, new life within us, or the destruction of our, our, our footstep following of Jesus. Choose ye this day who you will serve, and give thanks when we see the goodness of these things. So, Jonathan, it's it's, it's, a, it's a great example of stepping up into something uncomfortable and saying thank you, and then living thankfully. And we're going to get to actually developing that point in just a moment. Let's go on to our fifth example of how thankfulness can be part of our lives. Thankfulness can be a result of lifestyle and discipline regarding our core values and thoughts. Lifestyle and discipline. That sounds a little bit like what you were just talking about. To rejoice in the Lord is to live our Christian gratitude daily. And this doesn't just happen. It's a learned behavior. It's not natural. It's learned. And there's actually two simple steps to attaining a rejoicing Christian attitude of gratitude. We can find them in Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 to 8. Those two steps are in verses 4 through 6. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Okay, so it it talks about rejoice always. Great, that's a great thought. What am I supposed to do now? Okay. (laughs) And then it gives us two things. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. 
So the first thing he gives us in verse 5 is let your Christ-like life be made public. Live Christ-likeness in public. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Then in verse 6 it says, Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And what he's saying is live your Christ-like life in private as well. So if we live it in public and we live it in private, we can then find the place where we can rejoice from. And I think that's a powerful thing. Focus on Christ-like behavior and prayerful, thankful living and allow the door of God's peace to open. And Jonathan, that's exactly what you described in your own personal experience. And now, as a result, here's verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So let me ask you, Jonathan, and I wasn't gonna, didn't tell you I was going to ask you this question. <laughs> okay. okay. But in your experience taking care of your parents, have you had that experience of seeing the peace of God override the difficulties and the, and the, uh, and, and the intrusions and all of that? Absolutely. Absolutely. So it's, 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 it feels rewarding to know that you're helping when someone needs it and they can't do it on their own. So it works. It does. Okay. It does. Live your Christ-likeness outwardly. Live your Christ-likeness inwardly. And the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds. Once we find the state of mind, we need to learn how to keep this state of mind. Finding it's great. Keeping it is life-changing. The best learning comes by doing. And then verse 8 is a very common verse that is very inspirational, but it comes after all these things. Verse 8, go ahead. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. If there's any excellence and anything worthy of praise. See, you got to realize that it's not just, okay, if it's a good thing. If it's worthy of praise, praise is thanksgiving. That's right. So Showing gratitude. So this whole thing comes down to be thinking on things that are worthy of praise. And one other um, uh, point on what is the key in living a, a grateful life that was brought out is live a mindful life. Yeah. And, you know, and that's exactly what verse 8 is saying. Whatever is true. Honorable, right, pure, lovely, good repute. If there's excellence, think on these things. In other words, be mindful of what your mind is full of. Because if we allow our minds to be full of social media and politics and the the grumblings at our workplace and the difficulties of life, you don't find gratitude there. Be mindful. Be mindful and let your mind be full of gratitude for Christ. So what's our mechanics of thankfulness as we wrap up this segment? For gratitude to continually dwell with us, we must be willing to continually dwell where it will flourish, in the presence of godly thoughts and behavior. Okay, so the question is, what's my choice? The question is, where will I live? Is my address going to be the place where godly thoughts and behavior live? Or is my address going to be the place where 
Rick's own broken mind takes him down all these roads that always leads to him yelling at himself. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's a choice. It really is. True gratitude. Even when we have, and and again, Jonathan, the story, Lori's story, which we'll get back to in the next segment, even when there's physical pain and physical suffering, those things don't have to take us away. We can learn how to make them tools. How do we do that? Well, Lori's going to tell us in the next segment. So where do we live? Folks, what is the choice of our minds in terms of embracing gratitude? Thankfulness can be uh, can only be a choice if we're committed to all of what our lives bring us as followers of Christ. How do we find God's peace when we suffer regularly? How does this translate into gratitude? Do you feel disconnected at your local church? Are you struggling to find a good church or a pastor you like in your local area? We hope you're finding our podcast helpful as you take the next steps in your Christian walk. We're not here to replace the brick-and-mortar ministry, but Christian questions can be considered as the new way to think about church because we're cutting through all the online commentary noise with a deep dive into traditional scriptures and how they apply in today's seemingly untraditional world. Thanks for listening at ChristianQuestions.com, through our app, and your favorite podcast channels. Keep your great comments coming. We always welcome your feedback. Now, back to Rick and Jonathan as we go deeper in our discussion. You see, the key to God's peace and trial is found in our power to choose. This power of choice is not necessarily natural or easy, but it is life-changing. As with the Apostle Paul and the current example of our sister Lori, finding the choice that brings gratitude is a result of looking for it. Now, there's a novel idea. Do you want to find a way to live a life of gratitude? Open your eyes and begin to look. Because inevitably, if you look in the right places and you look far enough, you absolutely will find an answer. Another great quote, Jonathan, this one from Susie Orman. When you are grateful, when you can see what you have, you unlock blessings to flow in your life. It's a simple quote. When you're grateful, when you can see, when you open your eyes and you see what you have, even if it's pain, you open the flow of blessing. And that brings gratitude. Okay, that sounds like, it almost sounds poetic. So how does Lori, with her constant everyday pain, find a way to be able to see through it and find something bigger and better and higher? Well, let's listen to one of those aha moments in her Christian life. I went over to my bulletin board and I read Psalms 94, 18 and 19. When I said, my foot slippeth, thy mercy, O Lord, held me up. In the multitude of my thoughts within me, thy comforts delight my soul. I read it again. In the multitude of my thoughts, my thoughts were going through my head at lightning speed, but my father put it in my mind to realize that that was the multitude of thoughts. So that scripture took on a very personal meaning for me. I was better able then to concentrate on the next part. Thy comforts delight my soul. Sitting for very long doesn't work well for me anymore. So I love to keep short snippets of positive spiritual messages in my house, like on my bulletin board, that I can look at often throughout the day. 
I'm very thankful for this experience that has brought me closer to my Lord and given me a deeper sense of compassion for other people that deal with pain. Now think about that. I'm very grateful for this experience, this completely debilitating, completely life-changing, crippling, handicapping experience. I am thankful because it's taught me something I would have never known before. And that, Jonathan, that's exactly what you said before. Oh, wow. What a great, great answer. And, and you know, and we're going we're gonna to go into that nine, Psalm 94 scripture in a moment because she, she unlocks something in there that's really, really powerful. What's our sixth thankfulness, uh, thankfulness ability to be part of our lives? Thankfulness can be a result of diligent searching and genuine desire for the peace of God in trial. Okay. It can be a result of diligent search. We can look at, and that's exactly what she was doing. It's interesting. I would love to know how long that scripture was on her board and how many times she had read it until she came to the point where she read it and said, wait a minute, there's a deeper meaning here and it applies directly to me. You know, there's a growth process that can open our minds to be ready for things, and, and the answer can literally be right in front of us without us realizing it. I would love to know that. Lori, if you're listening, let us know. How long was that scripture there? Or did, I mean, was, did it just arrive, and you're like, aha? Or was it there, and it's like, after a while, like, wait a minute. You know, interesting. So let's, let, let's go to Psalm 94, 17 to 19. We'll read it one verse at a time. If the Lord had not been my help, my soul would soon have dwelt in the abode of silence. Okay, there's a powerful thing. It's saying, if God hadn't been there, I'd have been stuck. Verse 18. If I should say, my foot has slipped, your loving kindness, O Lord, will hold me up. So even when I feel like I'm falling, I've got this faith. And then verse 19. When my anxious thoughts multiplied within me, your consolations delight my soul. Okay, so let's go back. 17, 18, and 19. Let's kind of isolate the main point in each verse. Verse 17. Sure. Acknowledge that the Lord is your help. And when we have that acknowledgement, we won't be alone. 18. Embrace the protective care that God gives. And if we do embrace it, we will not be left broken. And then 19. Rest in the authority of God's, God's consoling power. And that way, when we rest in the authority of his consoling power, we're not going to have to face our own racing thoughts by ourselves. And, and Jonathan, I want to focus on that because when we get into, as human beings, when we get into difficult experiences, that's one of the things that happens. Our thoughts race in our minds, and it's hard to catch up, and it's hard to tame them, and it's hard to calm them, and they're going faster and faster and faster, whether we're angry or jealous or in pain or have been traumatized, whatever it is. The thoughts go, and then they go, and they go. And this verse, verse 19, is exactly describing that. Psalm 94, 19, when my anxious thoughts multiply within me, the psalmist is saying, when I have those racing thoughts, and this is Lori's revelation for her, your consolation, that's the key for me to realize that, that I can just let those be background noise and focus on your consolation. You know what white noise is? White noise is noise that's in the background that just, you know, just doesn't mean anything. Sometimes people have what's called a white noise machine to help them sleep. 
And it can be all kinds of different things. It's something that just settles your mind. And so what Lori is saying is my anxious racing thoughts almost became like white noise because now I was realizing this is the time I can focus on God. And he gave her the strength to be lifted above the experience. That's a beautiful, beautiful thought. Lori, thank you. that is. Amen. Thank you for your experience. God's peace invites thankfulness. We need to frame our racing thoughts as being under the jurisdiction of God's peace. Colossians 3, 14 to 17. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another, with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Even if there's noise, let it become background noise and let the peace of Christ rule. Let the word of Christ richly richly dwell within you. Maybe you're not in a position where you can study because of your pain and your suffering. doesn't mean you can't take the phrase, the words of, of of the Lord through Scripture, whether it be Old or New Testament, and let them dwell in us. And like Jonathan, you're so good at admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and singing with thankfulness. It doesn't have to be outwardly. It can be inwardly. Sometimes our struggles are inside and our joy can be inside as well. And that internal joy can overwhelm the internal sorrow and suffering and pain. Whatever we do, do it in the name of Christ. That's a recipe for finding gratitude. Is that easy? No. Is it worth it? Ask Lori. Just ask her. Somebody who suffers all the time, just ask. Our efforts, even when handicapped, are acceptable as God judges our hearts and intentions. And and Jonathan, I just want to pause there because... This is important. What if, what if my best efforts just aren't good enough? Well, what then? And we, we fall and fall. How does the Lord accept us? Because of our weaknesses. Because we keep trying to get up. That's how he accepts us. Folks, realize that gratefulness is founded in the fact that your father knows before it happens. And he knows that if you fall and you fall and you fall, it means you fall and get up. And you fall and get up, and you fall and get up. Because how can you fall and fall? If you've already fallen, you, you know, if you stay down, that's another thing. But if we keep trying to get up, he takes the intention and says, that is what I'm looking for. He doesn't want, he doesn't want the, the handicapped person to get into a, a, a foot race with, with somebody who's, who's a, a professional runner. He's not looking for that. He's looking for that handicapped individual to run their own race and continue to struggle through and grow up in Christ. First Thessalonians 5, verses 16 through 24. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophetic utterances, but examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good, abstain from every form of evil. Now we should do an entire podcast on those verses. 
and oh, just that's t- awesome. take those verses and break them down and say, okay, how do we do this? How do we, maybe we'll, we'll set that up because that's, that's exciting to me because mm-hmm. this is one of the recipes. It says rejoice always. And then it gives you the ingredients afterwards. So we're going to work on that, Jonathan. I got to make it awesome. Okay. Awesome. Now, verses 20, uh, verses 23 and 24. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. And may your spirit and soul and body be preserved completely without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he who calls you, and he also will bring it to pass. Here's the interesting thing. In verse 23, it says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. You notice it doesn't say, Now may the God of peace himself give you peace and make everything serene in your life and everything wonderful. It's not what it's saying. It's saying, May he sanctify you. To be sanctified is to be set apart for a holy purpose. That's the purpose of our lives. So when we have trials and life is hard, it's for the purpose of being set apart for a holy purpose. Not for the purpose of physical relief, but for the purpose of glorifying God. And that's the blessing. And that's where we can say, thank you. This is a sanctifying experience. Rick, the third point I want to bring out is in the key of living a grateful life, have a childlike wonder. Yeah. You know, and if we can get back to watch a little kid. You know, I, I was getting my car serviced today and I was sitting in, in the in the waiting room and I was I was working. I had my computer and I had set up to do some some specific work and I was in between things and the screensaver came up. There's this little one and a half or two year old walking by with his mom and up on the screen flashes a giraffe. You know, and, I, and I'm just sitting there getting ready to go do my next task. I, and from the, behind me, I hear, I hear this little voice say, Mommy, he has a giraffe. <laughs> you know, and that's the childlike wonder. And I'm in the middle of working and focusing. I stop. I look around and I smile and I say, yes, I do. Look. <laughs> and it just, it was that, that little childlike wonder experience. Let it be. Because it shows you the grace and glory of God. It really does. I love that point. Okay, how about when we're in severe circumstances? We should seek true fellowship because that can help us to stand in thanksgiving. And folks, this is key. You don't want to go through difficulties alone. Find someone to lock arms with. Acts 16, verses 22 to 25. The crowd rose up together against them, and the chief magistrates tore the robes off them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. When they had struck them with many blows, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. You know, this doesn't sound like a thankfulness scripture, does it? It sure doesn't. Pain and agony. But the key word so far is they and them. There was more than one. And here's what happens to they and them. The they and the them being Paul and Silas, verse 25. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. They were singing hymns together. They suffered tremendously. They were humiliated. They were in physical pain. They didn't know what the outcome was going to be. And so what do they do? They pray and they sing. Find someone 
who is suffering also and build one another up. What a great example. So mechanics of thankfulness as we wrap up this segment. As followers of Jesus, we are assured that whatever hinders us can put us beyond the reach of God, can't put us beyond the reach of God's peace and providence and negate our gratitude. All right. So no matter what it is, it can't put us beyond God's reach. So here's the question. Do you believe that? Do you believe that from deep within? Not emotionally, but do you have it as a conviction belief that the grace of God cannot be put out of our reach and therefore the gratitude towards God cannot be put out of our reach? If so, we can begin to grab hold of gratitude in the deepest and darkest sorrows and trials of our lives. If we can grab hold of and internalize all of this, what plagues us relentlessly can be reframed with gratitude. What effect does our gratitude in our trials have on those around us? Can we lift others up? Before we turn the page, we wanted to tell you about CQ Rewind. It's a free weekly service provided by our great team of contributors who help the guys prepare for each episode. It's an in-depth look at their research, scripture, and much more, showing you the map of Rick and Jonathan's content journey. Now let's continue finding out the better answers as we ask the better questions. Okay, so this is like the bonus round of thankfulness conversation. What we will find here is that people notice things. Whether a fellow Christian or not, they may go through their whole lives not seeming to get it, but they absolutely notice when you live a life that expresses thanks in trial. And Jonathan, that's the other part of this whole equation, is that our gratitude can be a witness. It may not be a witness that you hear about, but I promise you it is a witness to those around you. Uh, Robert Louis Stevenson quote, Keep your eyes open to your mercies. The man who forgets to be thankful has fallen asleep in life. <laughs> Many of us, you, you know, and I've never seen the program, but you know, there's something on, on television called The Walking Dead. You know, and I think oh, it's a okay. zombie show or something. I don't know. It's been I've out for years. I, <laughs> those things, I have absolutely no interest in those things. Absolutely not. But anyway, Many of us are like the walking dead. We're going through the motions of life without the, the zeal of gratitude, without the energy that comes with looking up and truly being able to say from our core, thank you. That's such a powerful, life-changing event. What's our seventh uh, thankfulness uh, element? Thankfulness can be a result of and witness to faith and action, especially when there's great pressure. Sometimes you don't know that you're witnessing. Daniel. Now, Daniel, we've done, we did a two-part series on the life of Daniel, or three parts. I don't even remember. It was a long series, and we didn't even get everything. Daniel's life path was an unpaved road through uncharted territory, even when he was a young man. He was able to navigate that road with the compass of faith, the staff of courage, and the sustenance of gratitude. Early in his life, there was an event where the, the, the King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream and nobody could interpret it. The following reading is the revealing of that dream to Daniel uh, in, in a night vision, um, and it showed him the meaning of the, of the dream that King Nebuchadnezzar had had. This was a powerful moment in Daniel's life, 
and it began a process of him becoming a very powerful man in Babylon. Daniel chapter 2, verses 19 to 23. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night, and Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Okay, he needed an answer, he got an answer, and the very next words are, and Daniel blessed the God of heaven. In other words, Daniel had great gratitude, and here's how he did it, 21 to 22, or 20 to 22, I'm sorry. Sure. Daniel said, blessed be the name of God from age to age, for wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons, deposes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and light dwells with him. You know, you notice Daniel doesn't just say, thank you, God, for giving me this interpretation. (laughs) No way. (laughs) He goes on this rant about the greatness of God and and how far-reaching the Heavenly Father is. His gratefulness, you can tell that it is coming from within him. It is not just an emotional reaction. It is a life response to his living gratefully. Even though he's a captive, he's saying all these things about God. And he continues, verse 23. To you, O God of my ancestors, I give thanks and praise For you have given me wisdom and power, and have now revealed to me what we asked of you. For you have revealed to us what the king ordered. So he's saying, now he gets specific. After he reviews all of the goodness of God, after he is in a state of gratitude, then he says thank you for the specific thing he had asked for. He's a very young man. Daniel already had the solid habit as a young man, he's a teenager at this point, of prayer and praise. And such profound habits would undoubtedly be witnessed by those around him, especially King Nebuchadnezzar. And now, you know, the, the, he works with King Nebuchadnezzar for a lot of years, but this is the first event where the king notices Daniel and Daniel's God and Daniel's loyalty and thanksgiving to his God. What are the mechanics of thankfulness here? Heartfelt thanksgiving can only come from heartfelt conviction. To live a life of gratitude comes from deeply devoted discipleship. You can't truly live a life of gratitude without that deeply devoted discipleship. Here's the question. What does my discipleship look like? Is my discipleship deeply devoted? Is it full of heartfelt thanksgiving? Does it have heartfelt conviction? Where am I in relation to that example? Rick, the fourth um, point was that the key for a grateful life is, what is that in thy hand? You know, and it's interesting because in the hand of Daniel was his mind and his faith. And he took his faith in God and the mind that God had given him, and he put those things to work, and he became the, 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 the chief counselor to King Nebuchadnezzar, to the mightiest king of the time. And Daniel, this prisoner, rose up to the level of chief counselor. What is in your hand? And whatever it is, do you say thankful, that, that, that you're thankful for? Do you show gratitude? And even if you're in your hand right now is pain and suffering, doesn't mean we can't show gratitude. What, Lord, can I learn from this? How can I take this experience and bless others with it? That's how we've got to look at these things. What's our eighth and final thankfulness point? Thankfulness can be a result of being worn down by godly input and God-driven discipline. 
That sounds weird. Thankfulness can be a result of being worn down by godly input and God-driven discipline. Yes. If you're on the outside looking in, those things can wear you down over time. And I think that's part of what happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. He had seen Daniel's experiences and Daniel's God and Daniel's faith for a lifetime. Sometimes the path to gratitude is protracted. And for King Nebuchadnezzar, that was the case. Early in King Nebuchadnezzar's life, he appreciated God, specifically after the dream that we just talked about, that that dream's interpretation. But gradually, the king lost any godly perspective. He did not heed the warnings of Daniel, because Daniel said, be careful, because God has blessed you, and look what you're doing. And he, King Nebuchadnezzar, became God in his own eyes. So God punished him. God set him low. Remember, he became as a beast of the fields for seven years. And you think, wow, what a horrible experience. Well, let's look at what King Nebuchadnezzar realized when he came out of that madness that lasted for seven years. Daniel chapter 4, verses 34 to 37. And at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes unto heaven, and mine understanding returned unto me, and I blessed the Most High. And I praised and honored him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. So here's the thing. Nebuchadnezzar is saying at the end of those days, the first thing he does is he thanks the God of Daniel. He doesn't say, what's my kingdom looking like? Bring me my people. He looks up and he says, you, the Most High, I praised and honored him because he lives forever. His dominion. Now, Nebuchadnezzar knew about dominion. Okay? His dominion, God's dominion, is everlasting. His kingdom is from generation to generation. Nebuchadnezzar realizes, I'm just a man. I'm this little puny guy. I may be the most powerful man on earth right now, but I'm just a small human being. And God is generational. So his first thought that he, he portrays to us is to thank God. God. Let's go to verses 30, uh, verse 36. At the same time, my reason returned unto me, and for the glory of my kingdom, mine honor and brightness returned unto me, and my counselors and my Lord sought unto me, and I was established in my kingdom, and excellent majesty was added unto me. So he's saying, at the same time, all of these things, all of these blessings came back to me, but the foundation for the blessing was the gratitude and uh, realization of the power of God. So God grants him his kingdom back. And now listen to verse 37 through the ears of someone learning gratitude. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and honor the king of heaven, all whose works are true, and his ways and his judgments, and those that walk in pride he is able to abase. So he sums up his own life. I praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. He's a king, but he realizes his place. And he has found humility in his last days because that's what God taught him. So Daniel's uh, example was a powerful part of Nebuchadnezzar's realization of God being God. We can thank Daniel. We can take, thank the other three Hebrews and their experience. Remember the fiery furnace thing? Yes. They all witnessed gratitude to God, and Nebuchadnezzar learned the lesson in the end. What's the last mechanics of thankfulness as we're ready to close this up? 
Whether we come from a place of sure and humble faith or pride and ego, gratitude can be equally powerful and transformative. So where are you coming from at this moment? Where are you now? Are you coming from that place where you maybe you're unsettled, where your thoughts are racing so fast and you've gotten caught up in the, in the, in the spinning wheel of your own mind? Or are you coming from a place where you realize God is with you? Whichever place is not relative, relevant. What's relevant is that gratefulness and gratitude can reign in your life if you allow it to. And Jonathan, that's a powerful, powerful lesson for us. We can have gratitude if we just open the door and look above and see and start saying thank you. And it can become contagious to others yeah. in their lives. So let's be the best example we can be. Yeah, you know, we were at a Bible conference recently, and one of the things that, that, uh, that was brought out was, you know, when you, you can be the thermostat in the room, not just the thermometer. You, you look, we can either take the temperature of what's going on around us, or we can set the temperature. And if our lives are full of gratitude and thanksgiving, become the thermostat for those around you. Set the temperature at a place where others can say, wow, it's warm and comfortable here because it's an attitude of gratitude. Our final scripture, Jonathan, Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 to 16. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things, as we are yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So we see that scripture, and we see the power of Jesus who has gone through it already and came out to the other side faithful and true. And we can rely on him, and therefore, because he opened the door, we have the opportunity to pray through his name. And folks, if you want something to start with for gratitude, start with that one point. I can pray to God because Jesus gave his life for me. I am thankful for that opportunity. Now take it and use it and grow it and develop it. And in the face of your pain and your suffering and your trials and your traumas and your difficulties, look up and learn to say thank you. For Jonathan and Rick and Christian Questions, we hope you've enjoyed being with us today. How can we be thankful when life is so hard? Focus, decide, and then let your emotions support what you've chosen. Thankfulness. Think about it. Folks, we really do want to hear from you. Give us your feedback or send us your questions on this episode and other episodes at ChristianQuestions.com. Also, a big part of spreading the word about our program is subscribing to Christian Questions on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, Stitcher, whatever your favorite podcast channel is. Please rate us and review us. We greatly appreciate it. And by the way, coming up next week, we'll be talking about how can criticism help us grow? You don't want to miss that. Talk to you then.